Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Jesus answered them saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the great and first, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Father, we thank you for these words, for these were written down and revealed to us from your loving hand. And Father, I pray that you'd open up our minds and hearts to receive what you have for us today. Let me speak words that are edifying. Let me speak words that are true. Father, give us discernment to know the words that are just man's mere opinions and those words that are from you. Let us respond to your Spirit's work in all of our hearts. And Lord, quench any distractions and things that may take us away from focusing on what you have for us as we try to attempt to live boldly for you that you may be glorified in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. John Piper explains that this verse in his message means that we're to love God with our whole person. That's what he's talking about here. To love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. He explains loving God with your whole heart means to find in God a satisfaction so profound that fills up all your heart. So here's the question. Do you find in God the supreme object of your admiration? Do you find in God that he satisfies your hearts, those dreams, those aspirations, those things that you desire? Do they find their sum in God? He writes, loving God with your soul means to find in God a meaning so rich and so deep that it fills up all the aching corners of your soul. Very good words. I usually ask people, in what way are you not satisfied with the promises of God? It's in those areas that we find ourselves still making and putting up idols. To love God with all your mind means to find in God the riches of knowledge and insight and wisdom that guide and satisfy all that the human mind was meant to be. There's some of us that are always searching and wanting to know and understand. And what he's saying here is do we find in God, though we may not completely understand all of God's mind, for who can, but we do find in his word and through his providence and through his revelation, do we find wisdom? Do we find satisfaction? I think that's good words for all of us. When we say we love God, we just usually think, well, yes, I I love him like I love my wife. I love my children, and and I have an affection for Jesus. But this is much more than just a simple affection. This is loving him and finding satisfaction in all that God is. He goes on also to write that loving your neighbor as yourself, the second part of that commandment, is a very radical command. It's radical in in such a way that it cuts to the very root of you and I, our sinfulness, and exposes it. And by God's grace, it severs it. For loving our neighbor of ourselves is something that's unnatural for us. Our sinning, our, our sinful desires usually go against loving others, for usually it takes from others. The root of our sinfulness is the desire for our own happiness. Now listen to this. It's the desire for our own happiness apart from God. That's what sin is. It's wanting to find happiness apart from God and apart from the happiness of others 
in God. Let me say it again, he says, the root of our sinfulness is the desire to be happy apart from God and apart from the happiness of others in God. In other words, we truly don't want others to be happy in God as well. All sin comes from a desire to be happy, cut off from the glory of God and cut off from the good of others. The command of Jesus to love our neighbor as ourselves cuts to this root, it exposes it, and then begins to sever it. Jesus, in essence, is saying here that to love your neighbor as yourselves means to be as creative, energetic, and desirous in seeking the good of others as you do it for yourself. And if I were to ask you, is that how you love your neighbors? You would say yes. But I would say, well, are you doing that for your wife, gentlemen? Wives, are you doing that for your husbands? Parents to your children? Employees to your employers? Do we seek their benefit as well and as much and as desirous as we seek to please ourselves? I would share with you that we do not. And you say, well, I love my wife, I love my kids, but yet, in reality, many times we love our wives and our kids because of the benefits that they give us, right? And once those benefits stop, then that's when the conflicts happens, whether it's in a marriage, a relationship, an employee, employer, whatever, right? Is that, is that not what it happens? Is we love people for what we can get from them. And we say love, and we use that word so freely here in America, but when it comes to loving God and loving others, God has something much more special, and should I say supernatural, in mind instead. You see, loving God is an invisible heart condition, while loving others is a visible expression of that love. Love is an emotion, as an emotion, I should say, is an affectionate feeling towards God and others. It's that outpouring is, I desire them to be happy. I, I desire to seek them. But love as an action is a purposeful movement to express feelings of affection. It's not a random act of kindness. How in this world did random acts of kindness equal loving your neighbor? Because that just says, oh, well, it's, I just spontaneous. But true love is purposely moving towards that and seeking that out. That's the call to live boldly in this world. Vincent Chung writes in his What is Love pamphlet that the Bible portrays love as a benevolent disposition that results in the corresponding expression or action. So to love God, yes, is an invisible. We can't see that as, as expressed other than in our singing and our prayers. But even then, it's, it's a heart condition in which we see and we desire and we love Him. We have taste and seen that God is good, and then we express that as we love others. These two commandments sum up the law of God and the law of Christ. To love our God and to love our neighbors is what we call this week in VBS to live boldly. Though society is big on saying love makes the world go round or all we need is love or all the euphemisms that come with love, we can see in our daily news and through our Facebooks and social media that love is definitely in short supply in this world. The scripture informs us that it's not natural for you and I to love God. 
It's not our default uh, setting, so to speak. We need something outside of us to help us. The Bible, Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman church that the mind that is set on the flesh is actually hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You and I cannot love God or others. It's against our very nature. It's against our very attitudes. It's against our very actions. Do not love. Now, we can mimic love. We can redefine love to make it seem like we're doing so and like we are expressing that love, but in reality, we fail. It is a noble pursuit that we, that we have in loving others within ourselves, but yet we still fail. But let me say, that does not mean that here today, if you are a husband and wife or you parent children or so on, that the love that you have is not real. But it doesn't always meet up to God's standard. There's something much, much more. So the question comes, if if my mind is hostile, if our default setting is to seek our happiness apart from God and apart from others, then how can we do that? How can we ever fulfill God's law? How can I live boldly for God? Thankfully, God reveals this answer through Scripture. I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 4. It's in the New Testament near the end of the Bible. If you want to start at Revelation, start paging backwards, you'll find it. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. We're going to move, move around just a little bit. But in 1 John 4, 7, John the Apostle writes in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from, help me out, God. And whoever loves has been what? Born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So there you see the world's condition. There are those who are born of God that love God and love others. And those who are not born again or have not born of God do not have that. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. Yet if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 15. Whoever confesses, how do we get this? Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he is God. We get the answer of how you and I can love and accomplish this by confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So love begins not with you and I, but with God. For God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. In verse 17, by this is love perfected within us, so that we may have confidence for that day of judgment. There will be a day where we will be judged, we'll stand before him. Did you live boldly? Did you love others? Did you love God? But he says it's perfected so that we may have confidence for that day, because as he is, so also are we in this world The Apostle John completes his thought in in his writing, verse 19, where he writes, We love because He, God, first loved us. See, so love is not something that's within me. It's not something that just needs to be recharged or reanimated. It's something in which God comes and breathes upon us, as Jesus told John. It's the Holy Spirit who breathes upon us the love of God. 
God in his wisdom decided to save us by sending his son, calling us to choose him, changing our hearts by giving us the ability to love and desire him. For we could not do it with ourselves. Then he does it by making or adopting us as one of his children and sharing with us his love and then commanding us to take that love and to share it visibly with others. So now you and I can choose to love God and others as he's commanded. For Paul had wrote to the church of Ephesus. He says, in love, God has predestined us for the adoptions of sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. For in him, we have redemption through Christ's blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. God was graceful to us and loving towards us, and reaching down and adopting us as children who were once rebellious, who were disobedient, who had no desire for Him. And He has done this because we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For you and I have been called to live boldly. He has a job for you and I, which God has prepared beforehand, that you and I should walk in them. You see, God does have a plan and a purpose in his life. Now, I won't join, though, in the chorus of others who say that God has a wonderful plan for your life. You've heard that phrase. Or that his desire is that your every day is a Friday. The reason is that these slogans that you hear sell you something that the gospel does not offer. Ignore those who will tell you that the Christian life is about prosperity or great health or acquiring wealth. To love God and to love your neighbors, listen to this, to love God and to love your neighbor goes against the culture. They will hate you for it. They will not embrace your love for them. Here's the thing that you need to understand. This is what we express to the children. And this is something that's missing many times in the sharing of the gospel. To choose God, to choose Christ, is to choose the path of suffering. We don't like that. It's not the message that's given today, unfortunately. The gospel has been packaged and watered down and marketed to such a degree that all you have to do is say a simple prayer and then that's it. Doesn't matter how you live, doesn't matter what you do, you can just tell people, well, I'm backslidden or just out of walk. But choosing Christ means to choose the path of suffering. Choosing God can and will mean economic hardships, social exclusion, as we're seeing today, uh, family divisions, which many of you in this room are experiencing for your call to Christ, and even physical suffering, such as beating and torture and even death. The writer of Hebrews tells us that those who love God and others were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted and mistreated. You will not hear that on TBN. They were wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These people, when they chose to follow God, when they chose 
chose to live boldly, they gladly and proudly bared the mark of suffering in their lives. And I would share with you, Christians, that's the call to live boldly today, is to be willing to pick up your cross and follow Christ and denying yourself for too many professing Christians today have chosen to find happiness apart from God and apart from others in finding happiness in God. And let me just say something about that phrase. Well, I think you would understand what it means to find happiness apart from God. That's what leads a man to porn instead of his wife. Okay? That leads a man to steal instead of working. It leads a woman, just to be fair, to romantic novels or to other things instead of her husband. Because you want your happiness apart from the promise of God. You find your happiness in wealth, entertainment, pleasure, so on and so forth. So what does it mean to find our happiness apart from others finding happiness in God? Because we seek to involve others in our sin. A man who has an affair needs a partner. And his desire is for her, her desire is for him. And they're seeking not the good of each other, but seeking the good for themselves. Just as you have any partner in crime, so to speak, or any desire to live outside the promises of God. When we don't share the gospel with those in our lives, we don't want their happiness in God because that might cause us to suffer. That might cause us some uncomfortableness. It means they may defriend us and unfollow us on social media. That's what it means to not desire their happiness with God. So here we see these men and women who chose to bear the mark of suffering, to live boldly, to love God and to love others by following the commands of Christ, whether to share uh, the word of God or to prophesy to kings who knew they, that would kill them, or whether it was other apostles and disciples and others who just shared the gospel of Christ with their neighbors. Though as you look at all of these things, these sufferings, these persecutions they went through, it is also written in the same book that through faith, they also conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of sword. They were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight and women received back their dead by resurrection. I know we're not Baptists, but can someone say amen? All right. You see, scripture and history are both filled of men and women who chose to live boldly in loving God and loving others. So there's the clarion call in a world that needs the gospel so desperately, especially as we see the day of God approaching. We need to be aware. During VBS, we challenged the children to follow Christ, to love God and others, to live boldly. That is the gospel. Anything else is a cheap imitation. Yet we also shared, because I believe it's most important in sharing the gospel, is that choosing to follow Christ can be difficult and costly. 
The scripture has encouraged us with many examples of men and women who have done just that, who have sat down and counted the cost and said, yes, I will follow Christ. I'd like to share then very quickly what we shared with the children this week. On Monday, we encouraged them or challenged them that we are to live boldly because of Christ's sacrifice. 1 John 4, 10 through 11, you might have noticed I skipped those two verses because they're here. It says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Big word. All that means is that God was satisfied with what Christ did. It satisfied his wrath. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because God is satisfied with that. He loves us. And then we're to share that love. You and I are to live boldly because Christ loved us. He obeyed the Father. He lived boldly. He continued on as we've been studying in our work in Mark's gospel, that he sets his face toward Jerusalem, knowing what the end result is. And he goes forward. And I think sometimes we think, yes, but he was God. Going to the cross, he knew he may suffer a little bit, but he knew that he was going to rise from dead, and he knew that he was going to go back to heaven, yes. But we discount that he was 100% human in the same way. When he was in that garden and he was in anguish, he was in real human anguish. I bet you human anguish that none of you have ever felt to that degree. I would be so bold to say that. Now that's my opinion. That's not scripture. That's one of those ones we need to use discernment. But scripture seems to tell us the human side of him was in plenty of anguish. As it says, he sweat like drops of blood. We need to live boldly because of his sacrifice. He gave us a wonderful, great example. On Tuesday, we learned to live boldly, even when it isn't popular. We talked about Peter and John, how after Christ had had ascended into heaven, they began to share the gospel. And this is a gospel that was not received well by many. Though many became saved, there were many who were saying, no, 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 quit talking about Christ. They were thrown in prison. And as they were being let out, they said, no longer talk about or preach about Jesus. And we share with the children that Peter and John refused. For he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, Paul says. Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Peter and John said, who are we to obey, God or man? And you and I will have these types of decisions to make. We're we're having them now. Some bakers and some photographers are having that decision, that conflict now. Maybe you are having some of that today. But to live boldly in loving God and loving others means that we do so even when it isn't popular. But unfortunately, so many Christians, and let me say the words, maybe professing Christians, I should say, As soon as it gets tough, we back off. And then we back off. That's not living boldly. That's not standing with your head in the wind. That's not approaching and loving God and loving others. For we need to realize that when loving others, that may mean confrontation. It may mean exhortation or even condemnation in such a way that we're condemning not themselves, but the works that they're doing. Romans 1 tells us, do not approve the works of darkness. Says that too itself will be judged. So we need to learn that you and I need to leave boldly even when it's not popular. And it's not popular today, is it, to be a Christian? At least a Christian who wants to live by God's word. 
On Wednesday, we learn to live boldly when people are mean or when people are terrible to us. We studied the story of Joseph and how he went through one suffering. The man just couldn't get a break. But yet through it all, we saw that God prospered him in everything. But even as he prospered, there would be another type of conflict. Someone else who was seeking to cut his legs from underneath them. And yet in the end, he says, we do not seek revenge. We learn First 1 Thessalonians, he says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. You and I are going to face people who are just going to be terrible to us. They're going to be awful to us for our stand. But we need to love them. That's when loving God and loving uh, each other. What do we do for those who beat us, who, who hate us? He said, pray for them, love them, serve them. So you and I, when it comes to that point, when people are just becoming awful to us, that's when our love will shine the brightest, will it not? For those who seek the demise of the church, we love them. That's the power of God. And then he says on Thursday, we're to live boldly with respect. Speaking of Daniel, though, even though he was a slave boy who had risen to a, a great power in the kingdom, him, he and two other people, three men, were put over all the kingdom. This is later in Daniel's life, not the three Hebrew children, but him and two other men. And they did not like Daniel. And they sought any way they could to destroy his, his testimony and his life. Remember, they came up with this law. They convinced the law or the king to write a law that says, no one should pray to any god or anyone else but to King Darius. And I learned something this week. I always said King Darius, uh, but I guess it's Darius. I guess it depends what part of the country you come from. But no one could pray, knowing they had saw that, that, that Daniel had prayed three times on the porch in front of everyone to the most holy God. Daniel, knowing that the law was in effect, continued to do so. In that, he, King Darius, who loved Daniel, was a friend of Daniel, was forced by his hand to throw him in the dens of lion. You know the story. If not, it's found in Daniel. Uh, you'll see that then the angel comes and shuts the mouths. King Darius comes and says, has your God, has he spared you? And he says, yes, he has. Daniel's pulled from the pit. The king reverses his law or doesn't reverse it, but brings a new law that says no one can pray but to this God. Did Daniel seek revenge? No. Did he seek to, to yell at the king or to, to give him what for? No, he respectfully gave the king what was due him. Even though he knew that the king's law was ungodly, he knew that it was not what God wanted, he chose to love him by serving him. Then on Friday, we were to live boldly when it was risky. We talked about Esther. Great story who went before the king without permission. It could have been her head, but yet to save her people, she did so out of desperation and trusting God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You need to understand that living for Christ is risky. In this day and age, we have a distorted view of Christianity. Let's go to another country where Christianity isn't as popular, even though this is not popular today, but go there where you could lose your life. China, we're pulling down crosses from churches where even the house churches are now being once again maligned. 
Or how about Russia that just this week they signed a bill. You cannot invite anyone to church. You cannot send an email. You cannot have an invitation even to your family. This is a law in Russia. Unless you want missionaries, I don't know where the missionaries are going to go because they have to be part of the Orthodox Church. Everything that we went for since the 90s is going to be driven right back under the ground. And it's just a, a terrible state, but yet to live boldly is greater than to live openly. I tell you, I, I think so. To be honest, I'm not despairing of what this country and nation is going to be because I believe that the true Christians are going to come. And if we live boldly, our light is going to be brighter than any moral majority or any cultural influence we have lost. I'll take an amen for that because I believe that's true. His light will shine brighter. Like those heroes of the Old and New Testament, you and I are to live boldly with courage in this world that is hostile to God and His children. King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 28 that the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as lions. We need churches filled. We need men filled with boldness and women who are filled with boldness as lions ready to, 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 to go forward with the gospel. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that since we have such a hope, we are very bold. What's that hope? Is that God's kingdom will advance, that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church, that the church is the manifold wisdom of God that shares the gospel. God has called his children to love God and to others. We're to live boldly in this world that's devoid of true Godly love, what you hear on the radio, what you see on TV is not godly love. He knows that this will be difficult and he understands that it will mean suffering. But let me share with you, God hears our cries. He hears our pleas. He knows our weaknesses. So he encourages us to be watchful, to stand firm in the faith, to act like men, to be strong. And he says, let all that you do be done in love. So let me share with you, if you turn your Bible real quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, you'll see that passage of Scripture. I want to give you very quickly five commands of Scripture that we find there. Number one, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, if you'd like to be there, he tells us to be watchful. To be watchful, for the day is short, the Lord is coming. We've been speaking of this in Mark chapter 13. Until that day, you and I are to walk in obedience. Matthew records that Jesus warned his disciples to stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And Paul tells the church of Rome that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Christian, we're time to wake up. It says, for salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. If it was then, how much more so today? The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Unfortunately, this describes the American Western church today. But he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And the only way we do that is by loving God and loving others. Seeking our happiness in God. Seeking the happiness of others in God, not apart. So be watchful. To live boldly is to be watchful. To live boldly is to stand 
firm in the flesh as we continue in his commands. It's a military term commanding one to hold your ground. Do not retreat before the enemy. And I'm not talking about cultural wars here. I'm not talking about political battles. I'm talking about the gospel. Living it out, it should affect and it should permeate then all of our life, political, cultural, all the other aspects of our life. But yet it begins here by standing firm and not letting sin and everything else permeate our lives, nor our churches and our families. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul warns the church there to stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word and by our letter. So here we have it. Let us hold firm and fast to this. If you ask, what's our truth? What's our standard? What's our, what's our banner? It's found here in God's word. It is revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. So be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Thirdly, he commands us, act like men. Be courageous. In other words, be mature. He's not telling us all to become men. This is not some type of thing which we can use as a proof verse. Maybe someone will use this as a proof verse for something. But in Philippians, he says, while he's facing death, Paul says that he will not be at all ashamed but be that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. We need Christians to act like men, to act like women, to stand courageous and say, I choose Christ, no matter what the cost. Fourthly, it's to be strong. You and I need to be diligent to withstand those attacks of Satan. As James tells, submit yourselves Therefore, to God, resist the devil. He will flee from you. To live boldly is to be strong, to be diligent in our lives. Then fifthly, he tells us once again to let everything be done in love. Love is the balm to what is causing factions and division in the church, in our families, in our relationships, and in our world. This morning, open up the Fox News and Two more police officers were shot in Louisiana. Racial things all over the place, conflict. Not to speak of what happened in Turkey. They also saw that there was a big attack planned for Jerusalem today, and it was found in time. They estimated there would have been hundreds of bodies. Let's not think of France. Let's not think of what's even going on in Belgium, and, and where we have two missionaries here from Belgium. Uh, what's going on in their country, where they, they have to stand in the midst. Belgium is a very strong Muslim presence there. Everything we need or do needs to be done in love. We've said again, we pray that we have people who are struggling with the very things that we have said is sin. Because we need to love them. Love is the only thing that will heal them. And I'm not saying that in some cheesy country song or pop song way. We don't need to gather, need to get all the great celebrity pastors in the world and sing We Are the World or sell a video or sell t-shirts or sell packets that say let's get Kona. We just need to love. And that love needs to spread through us. It happens right here in God's church. It happens in your family. If you cannot do it here, if you cannot do it in your families and in your relationships, how can we do it in the world? Let me encourage you this. Let me close. You guys have been very, very patient. Thank you. We have shared with the children, encourage them, choose Christ. Live boldly by loving God and loving others. 
And doing so will come with a high cost. You need to be willing to accept that cost. But Paul writes that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Let me share with you, as I challenge you to do this, I am aware that I cannot do this, nor can you. It's not within us to love God and love others, to live this boldness, right? But I'm sharing with you that God can help us. Paul understand that he had a weakness, but he understood that his weakness in the flesh, his weakness in his own spirit, not the spirit of God, demonstrates the power of God. In our weakness in doing so, God's power. When people see that we love each other as God has called us to, it demonstrates not our strength, but our weakness. Or not our weakness, but God's strength, the power of God. Secondly, Paul trusted that any suffering that he may have for living boldly for God had a purpose. Just as Joseph and John and Peter and Daniel, all their suffering had a purpose. Those people who were sawn in two, the people who were beheaded, the people who were used as torchlights and lamps for narrow, they had a purpose. It may not be the purpose that the world tells you. It may not be the wonderful plan that you envisioned for your children. But let me tell you, each and every suffering that you and I have for loving God and loving others has a purpose. Amen? There is a plan for it. And thirdly, our motivation in serving and living boldly and loving God and others is the hope of a final renewal. You see, we need to set our eyes on the proper things, not on this world. Hence, that's the problem. Our love is deficient because our eyes are set on the world. Is it any wonder that we have a worldly love and not a godly love? It's not the things of the world that should attract us, but the things of God. Paul's hope of renewal empowered his day-to-day obedience. He kept God's promises close to his heart. So if you're going to love God and love others, if you're going to live boldly, you're going to have to put your mind that this is only temporary. There is something greater. Set your affections on things above, Colossians tells us. Can you do that this morning? The Christian life is not always warm and fuzzy. Many times God does not heal or provide deliverance, at least not in the way that we anticipate it or even desire. Yet you and I are to live boldly by loving God and loving others. We asked our K-5 through 7th graders to do so. May I ask you to do the same? Would you choose to live boldly today? Recognize your weakness in doing so. Maybe it's your inability because you have not yet chose Christ. If not, would you choose him? Would you choose him? Would you count the costs and say, I choose to serve God? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like for you to just take a moment to pause and consider what God's word had for us this morning. Then I'm going to ask you to pray and ask the Spirit, how should I respond? In what way am I not loving God as I should? In what ways am I not loving others? How can I demonstrate that more? And Father, give me the strength to do so. Would you pray this morning in the way the Spirit calls you to? Spirit, work in our hearts. 
let us not just walk away from this message saying, oh, thank you, wonderful, let's go on. But Lord, let it find deep root. Let us be unsettled in our heart and our very soul until we attend to the commands of your words. Let us not walk away and just ignore the response you're calling for, but let us be compelled to do so. If such a case, I pray that you would take our help, that you would do other ways in which you would get us in line. Why? Because to love you and to love others is the fulfillment of all that you've asked us to do. If there's any here that do not know you as Savior, Lord, would you begin calling them today? Will they hear that voice? And show them your beauty, that they may choose to follow you. We pray this in the name of the Son, who makes all of this possible, and is our great example and Savior. We pray, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.